this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of the union, Jay, back for what I believe is his 10th visit, double digits. Stop. Is it really 10? I looked it up. I looked it up. Wow. At least, at least 10. Welcome back, Mr. Scott Hallgram. Hey, thanks for having me. My kids like to point out that when you Google my name, the first thing that comes up is the dig me out link. Oh. S-E-O. Your kids are Googling you. (laughs) (laughs) When you first learn Google, I think that's one of the things you do. I hadn't thought of that. That is a good thing for all of us that have Mm -hmm. uh, younger children. Shut it down. (laughs) To stay on top of. Start wiping stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you know, you're... You might want to expand your bio then if your kids are, yeah, you know, want to uh, want to see what you're up to. I'll take it. <laughs> it's the only way they can find out about <laughs> it, by Googling me. They're like, what does dad do? Well, according to the Dig Me Out website, dad's a computational linguist doing clinical bio NLP and longtime fan and patron of Dig Me Out. Wow. That's at least five years old. Uh, so this, like I said, this is visit number ten that I'm aware of. There might have, I think, uh, started in 2016 with the new albums roundtable, and then followed by the Mr. Bungle Disco Volante episode. Was there any before that? I don't think so. If they are, we have to fix the. Uh, no, I think I think those are the first two where I was actually here. I had requested picks before that. Jennifer Trinan and oh, Jennifer Trinan was after that. Yep, twenty seven. Okay. That was later in twenty seventeen, and then twenty uh, December of twenty seventeen was Living Color Stain, and then January twenty nineteen was Masters of Reality Sunrise on the Suffer Bus, January fourteenth, twenty twenty. They might be giants right before everything went to hell, and then uh, August twenty twenty episode five hundred. Nirvana's Never Mind, albums of nineteen ninety one roundtable for twenty twenty one. And Primus Frizzle Fry, January. You were that was two weeks in a row, back yeah. to back, like an like an Albert Bell uh, classic. Uh... <laughs> well, nice, you got my just ears perked up there. Episode without an Albert Bell reference, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Going yeah, along, the stereo was one that you you did without me, but um... there we go. There we go. I know there were more suggestions. Dump little children. There you go. Yep. Uh, so these are a. This is besides those one. Those that you just mentioned. There's a wide variety of stuff that you've suggested to us. Primus. They might be giants. Masters of Reality. Living Color. Jennifer. Trinan. Mister Bungle. All over the place. No rhyme or reason. What is your pick for this episode? Tell the folks listening at home. Well, I guess it's another, I guess it's another scatter shot uh, pick when you when you think about those, but. Um, I wanted to pick something that was celebrating its 30-year anniversary. So we've got The Art of Rebellion by Suicidal Tendencies. Excellent. 
Uh, when did you get into suicidal tendencies and, and when did you get this record? Uh, I probably first got into ST, the album before this, which I think was 1990s Lights, Camera, Revolution. Um, and I probably picked that up because my friends were into it and they were opening for Queensryche on the Empire Tour. So that was, um, and you know, that was a massive, massive album and massive tour. So they had a lot of exposure there. So I probably got this. This came out in 92. I know I had it in 93, so I probably got it in 92 or 93. Um, and then I I had a couple other, I went backwards and got a couple more ST albums and I haven't really kept up. I got a couple of the ones that came out in the last few years, but um, but this kind of marked the end of, I think they took a fairly big hiatus and they went in a different direction after this. So I, I kind of lost them after this. That's correct. Uh, just brief history on the band. History of the band. As you mentioned, uh, they were together from 80, 1980 to 1995, and then they were on hiatus for a brief period, and then they got mm-hmm. back together in 96, and they have been together since then. Although been together is sort of a mis- misnomer because it's basically Mike Muir. Uh, there have been a lot of people in this band, including for this record and only this record, Josh Freeze on drums. Um, but famed bassist Thundercat was in the band for a period of time, along with about 30 other people, uh, which uh, that's a lot. So they are from Venice, California, as I mentioned, formed in 80. Uh, they were an original, I guess you'd say, like thrash uh, band, along with um, like. DRI and SOD and those bands. I remember reading about those in like uh, the American Hardcore book and uh, by uh, Stephen Brush. And um, first album came out in 1983, self titled. 1987's Join the Army. 1998's How Will I Laugh Tomorrow When I Can't Even Smile Today? That sounds so emo. That sounds like it. That sounds like it would have been a Christy Front Drive uh, album from uh, from 1997, or 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 a Dashboard Confessional song. Um, then you have uh, Controlled by Hatred, Feel Like Shit, Deja Vu in 1989. The album you mentioned before this, Lights, Camera, Revolution in 1990. The Art of Rebellion came out in '92, followed by Still Psycho after all these years in '93, Suicidal for Life in '94. Then there's a hiatus, then freedom, freedom in 1999, free your soul and save your mind, save my mind in 2000, excuse me. Then there is a 10-year hiatus, No Mercy Fool, The Suicidal Family 2010, 13 in 2013, World God Mad in 2016, and still psychopunk after all these years in 2018. And that's just, there's also EPs and, and whatnot. And um, Mike Muir is also known for being in the band Infectious Grooves, which I believe formed, was that like early 90s that that band was formed? Their debut album came out in 91, so it came out between these, what are probably the two biggest in terms of sales ST albums. Gotcha. And that consisted of members of Faith No More and Avenged Sevenfold. And well, I don't think Avenged Sevenfold was a band yet, but eventually. Were they? Who from Faith No More was in Infectious Jim Martin. 
Really? Yeah. Wow. The initial um, lineup was in, in, was Mike Muir and Robert Trulio. Right? Yeah. And, and, and Stephen Perkins of Jane. Jane's Addiction, yeah. Jane's Addiction. Yeah, I'm not finding Jim. Um, maybe they, maybe there's been maybe there were lineup changes in that as well. Yeah. I was just thinking of what was coming out currently. Many albums. Seems like Jim Martin. Uh, yeah, Jim Martin was a live guitarist in 2013, which was 21 years after he got fired from Mickey Morrison. And uh, the current uh, drummer for ST is uh, Dave Lombardo, who uh, people probably know from Slayer, but also from uh, played with uh, Mr. Bungle, The Misfits, Phantomus. So, a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people have been through Mike Muir's projects. Uh, Jay, were you familiar with Suicidal Tendencies? I was. I remember institutionalized being mm-hmm. heard quite a bit on um, MTV's Headbangers Ball. They were a very prominent on Headbangers Ball in the late 80s, early 90s too. Um, so I'm sure there were other videos. I was aware of Mike Muir. I've actually seen Infectious Grooves, I believe at least twice. Oh. Um, they opened for Ozzy in 90 it would have been his farewell his first farewell tour in the early nineties. <laughs> um and i know i saw them one other time opening for somebody um, i don't remember who it was they were i think a very popular opener um in that they had a lot of members that were in bands and well connected and just a fun band to have open if you're a metal band at that time so um i did see them a couple times live so yeah i mean i knew in general, uh, I had an impression of what the band sounded like. So, I've only I only know the song "Institutionalized." That's it. it. I've never listened to an album. I didn't know what anything else sounded like before this episode. So I'm going into this completely new with this album. So you guys are aware. And I, I never saw like live. And I've done my job. That's there you go. Awesome. Wherever else this goes, nailed it, in my opinion. Because I wasn't really into thrash <clears throat> in the 80s and 90s. Like, I didn't even get really get into a Metallica <laughs> until Load. Uh, but I went backwards. Like, I heard Load and I was like, well, this is interesting. And I obviously you couldn't avoid the Black Album, but I didn't get that album when it came out. And then I went back and like listened to Master of Puppets. and was like, oh, well, this is interesting. And I heard some Megadeth. But I didn't. I never owned any records. So, same with anth- like Anthrax as well. Like, those, as far as those thrash bands. Yeah, and and speaking of Metallica, and since we just rolled off of talking about band members, it's worth mentioning that the bassist on this album, uh, Robert Trujillo, is now the bassist of Metallica. He replaced right. Yeah. For anybody who's seen uh, some kind of monster, they're aware of the uh, the uh, the trials and tribulations that went on. Yeah, and they make a big yeah. Anyway, they they make a big deal in that movie about how like you're coming on as a full member, which I don't think Jason Newstead ever got. But whatever, that's another. No, point. we're going to give you a one million dollar signing bonus. I remember that. Uh, comments from our Patreon page. Eric Peterson said, "Released the same day as the single soundtrack." Art of Rebellion is one of the great albums of 1992 in my mind. Sadly, a lot of a lot of what the band was talking about 30 years ago is still true today. Jeff Loney said, I became a big fan of ST in high school. 
While this is not as good as Light's Camera Revolution, Art of Rebellion is still peak suicidal and fits well in the worlds of 80s metal and 90s alternative. And Robert Trulio, epic. Gavin says, definitely a worthy album, and thanks to Scott for bringing Suicidal Tendencies to the pod. Strangely, album was a blind spot for me. I had the first three and three of the next five, but I genuinely don't think I heard this at the time. A band ahead of their time already changing when this was released just as a flotilla of copycats arrived. I like that phrase, flotilla of copycats. So this sounds very metal to me, and given the ballads, I don't think they're power ballads. I can confirm that. Uh, I check What? The authority has yes, waited. I, I'm using my PhD uh, in power ballads. <laughs> power, ball- yeah, we'll power balladry. Power balladry, yes. Uh, I checked to see if someone other than Mike was singing. I think we are hearing the birth of emo in some of these songs. And what emo band wouldn't want that band name? Cool choice. Uh, Chip Midnight. I probably bought this the day it came out. I listened to it. I listened to it again recently. I think it suffers from a problem that Tim and Jay talk about often. The songs are too long. 12 songs at three to four minutes is palatable. Is more palatable than 12 songs that clock in just shy of an hour. So I guess I vote worthy album, but it's too long. Rudy Stowell says, great choice. We're back on my side of the country. Saw these guys from the beginning when they used to play Backyards in Venice. That is awesome. Uh, one of the first skater thrash bands with JFA and RKL. I don't know what those an acronym are for. JFA and RKL. What, anyone take guess? Uh, junior. Foreign Achievers. <laughs> Real cool lads. I don't know. Uh, things could get hairy. Mike can't really sing and got labeled as sellouts for the institutionalized video. That's crazy. JFA uh, is just a band. Oh, okay. American hardcore band from Southern California. Gotcha. I thought it was maybe like SOD was... Stormtroopers of Death, and there was a lot of acronym stuff happening. Uh, This album can be meandering and unfocused, but also has some of their best work. Were the album. And Jeff Jetta says, picking this for the poll, plus the term alternative funk, which I was not expecting at all, led me to listen to these guys for the first time, and I found myself on a Spotify deep dive. Other ST albums rated higher on RateYourMusic.com, but this was interesting enough to keep my attention. Looking forward to the episode and exploring more ST. Thanks. Scott, you have done your job. You have... That's it. Show's over. I didn't, I, I, I didn't look at the page until uh, you started reading it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm surprised that it, that it was that uh, strong. Yeah, there was... Uh, this is a lot of love out there for this. Let's see if the poll measures up. You never know what's going to happen with the poll, but we'll release our... Worthy album, better EP, <coughs> decent single uh, results when we weigh in at the end of the episode. But for now, I'm going to turn it to Jay and go, hey, Jay, uh-huh. tell me one thing you liked about this record. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's going to happen. I love the vocals on this record, and I did not expect uh, my experience with Mike Miro. Um, to come away from one of his records saying how impressed I was with the vocals here. He, 
I, I don't know if it's just him singing or if there's other people singing, but there is this really unique sound um, in delivery across the record. And it's not just one uh, sort of voice and approach. There's many voices. Uh, there's layers. There's, you know, he does this at times um, kind of breathy, uh, almost falsetto or breathy kind of deep voice, but then they double it. Um, and it gets this weight that like, it sits over these heavy guitars in a way that's really unique. I, I had a hard time even like coming to another metal band that sounds like this, but just in terms of how the vocals and the guitars work together, it's really different and in, in a cool way. Uh, I, I usually hate spoken vocals too. And I love, I love when he does that. Um, I love how the drums and the vocals too seem to really be in, in tune with each other. And I don't know how they work that out um, in terms of Josh Freeze being a more of a studio hired gun guy. Um, but there's just these really important parts of the songs where the, the toms are a fill or an accent and the, and the vocal will, you know, cut to a part and lock up and it just creates this great dynamic. Um, it's surprisingly melodic too. I, I did not expect him to be able to carry these really creative melodies unexpected. There's parts over top of some of these, um, guitar riffs that I don't think a lot of singers in this genre would do. It, it's just unexpected and really creative um i think the dynamics help a ton too where there's he doesn't stick with any one thing for too long you know he's got all of these different voices he uses in production techniques and um so there's you're never stuck in any one area vocally it's sort of he goes in one place and then another voice comes in and then he's talking and then they go to this cool break part and he's contrasting guitars and then they lock up and then he and the drums are like super tight. And then, you know, it, it's just really, I think, well produced as well uh, to keep things moving, keep it interesting. I feel, you know, even though, yes, yeah, some of these songs are, can be long, the dynamics are just so good. Like this just sounds so tight. It's so well worked. Um, the, the drums are incredible. I actually was more, I expected to be um, more impressed with the bass on the record coming into it, knowing who the bass player is, but actually uh, I kept noticing just how great the feel was on the drums and how great some, like Can't Stop is a great example of like those tom parts, those thundering tom parts in there are just so important to create the the build and the tension. I would have been okay. But just a little time, my time, not your time. You never have time. I don't even know why I try. You're probably here right now, waiting, waiting for that moment to ambush me. Slide on my hopes, crush my confidence, pound me down, pound me down lower than you ever had before. Just so you can grab my heart and rip it out, and then you chew on it, spit it out, and throw it on the ground and stomp all over it, laughing, laughing hysterically, daring me to do something, knowing that I won't. Knowing how weak I am, knowing how strong you are. 
and even when they get into more like tap into the power it's just an, a great feel like there's just this cool like groove to the bass and drums that's not overly like it's still rocking like it it's not overly like pulling too much attention it just it feels right and it's really punchy and tight and but then there's this amazing guitar riff over top that's kind of like thrashy and heavy but it's it's scratchy it's like this super fast picking kind of scratching technique but it, it just creates this awesome like counter rhythm to the bass and drums that it skips over top in a really unusual way so i just kept hearing all of this stuff of of using i guess thrash kind of sounds and tones and ideas but um presented in a really creative it feels like super inspired way um it doesn't fall into it tends to not fall into a lot of the trappings that uh, when i think of late 80s early 90s thrash or hardcore or, or anything that these bands would be this band would be close to it doesn't fall in any of those traps um it just i don't know it feels like creatively a step ahead um and i think in large part it's due to the amount of focus and craft that went into the vocals on this and then just some great players who i think are so comfortable sort of in that heavy thrashy realm that they know how to use it but also twist it and kind of go in some places that are you know a bit more alt rock a bit more groove or i don't know know, it doesn't sound funky to me but it's just got a great like groove feel to it um they can be heavy and fast they can be big and powerful like there's just a lot of range here as well that i did not expect to hear i mean honestly just expected a lot of you know 12 songs of fast punky drums and thrash riffs with talking over top and this record is not bad at all so yeah it, it was a it was a, a fun listen and there are some seriously heavy rockers on here that um i will be coming back to how about you tim what worked well i agree with you when i read the description of this on wikipedia and the, the genre listed is alternative metal funk metal i was ready for something else <laughs> you were saying row. And I mean, I, you know, Living Color gets mentioned as funk metal, too. And I was like, OK, and that's this is not in in terms of what I hear. And I and I think that part of that is because of what you mentioned with Josh Freeze is just putting on a killer performance. And it's much more straight ahead. I mean, there are aspects like which way to free has like almost a <laughs> an extreme vibe to it. And in the way that they can use funk and and groove. But then you have a song like It's Going Down that follows it. And it almost sounds like the Jesus and Mary chain. If yeah. you if you turn if you were to turn the guitars like into the more fuzzy end, that that vocal melody and the way that he the breathiness of his vocal, that sounds like classic Jesus and Mary Chain Jim Reed vocal. My dark side My mind's 
caught off guard i mean it took me a number of listens to like really figure out what the heck i was hearing because i was expecting something way different i only knew mike muir from institutionalized so i'm like where's the goofy stuff like where's the pepsi stuff i i don't understand what's going on here and then you get to nobody hears which was the single yeah. and i actually watched the video for it too and i was like wow this is this is pretty emo like, I'm not going to claim that they created emo or do something stupid like that, like Weezer invented emo or something, you know, dumb like that. But like, there is an, emo- an emotional depth to this record that I was not prepared for. Uh, and nobody here is being the centerpiece because I, I sort of thought back to um, Metallica's Black Album, which, you know, obviously was another thrash band that evolved in the same way that this band is evolving and i thought about the unforgiven as a comparison to like a ballad from a thrash band not that necessarily it's like a power ballad but unforgiving gets pretty close to being a power ballad and nobody hears while it's not a power ballad is still in like that sort of emotional range and it is a very vulnerable lyric and song that i was completely not expecting from this band and from watching the video if you had turned the music off and just let me watch the video without any music i would not think that that's the song that they're playing because it's still mike muir with like a headband jumping around and i'm like this is this is so my my eyes and my ears are not lining up as as terms of what i think i'm seeing and what i think i'm hearing um but like you said there are across the board there's just so much interesting guitar stuff happening um i don't know i mean i I think on this record so who you have you have rocky george on guitar mike clark on guitar so i don't know who's doing what between those two but there's just a lot of cool riffs some of them are you know like gotta kill the captain stupid is is pretty straightforward thrash Oh, 
But then there's other things where, I mean, they get into like, um, I wasn't meant to feel asleep at the wheel, which is a little long, but that has like a country feel in some aspects or blues or something. Like there is some really interesting stuff happening with regards to the bends and the notes that are being played. And it reminded me a little bit of, um, of, uh, Dimebag Daryl with like that like southern kind of like the way that he would play and bend was very specific and there are aspects to this that reminded me of Pantera in that way Uh, just in terms of like introducing stuff that you wouldn't normally hear with regards to you know just chugging thrash metal from the 80s like there's there's a much broader palette of guitar sounds and approaches on this record that I again I was not expecting. And I I read where people said like this is their, you know, transitional album. This is where they really, you know, depart from uh, their sounds in the 80s and it's almost progressive in terms of some of their structures. And I'm like, this isn't dream theater, but I understand what they're saying in terms of this band like doing some really sort of interesting. I mean, there are some quick changes from like halftime to double time and that kind of stuff. And what's interesting is that the the producer on this is Peter Collins. And I looked up his resume and he's like, he is straight up pop producer, like Billy Mm. Squire, Air Supply, Nick Kershaw, Queensryche, Indigo Girls, Bon Jovi, Jermaine Stewart. Like they clearly wanted a very clean and pop, not pop, but like stay more. Uh. I guess radio friendly sound. And I think it works. Yeah, it doesn't feel um like when I hear it, I don't ever think like, oh, this sounds ridiculous for this band to be doing this, or doesn't right. sound like them. It sounds like a um I guess I'm it it surprised me in that it still sounds like the band. It's just going places that I didn't know they could take the style of music they play too. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's so cool about it. Like it, it expands my, you know, my imagination or ability to like think about where you could take the roots of a band like this and go with it. And they managed to go places that are pretty cool. I also want to mention on nobody hears just how great, I mean, that's just a well-written song. Like they get to the hook right away. They keep bringing it back. They build on it. They play with it with the guitar melodies. It's got that great, like, simple guitar riff that goes yeah. through the song. That like, and they like know how yeah. to like. Sometimes they bring the vocal in and it emphasizes, and other times they don't. So you just end up with this immediate hook that then they just play with the rest of the song, and it's not complicated, but it's super effective. I remember now when I heard it on on the um, during my review, I, I was like, oh god, I remember the song like. That's such a great hook, you'll never forget it.
I think there's a level of craft to the songwriting on that song in particular that um, I had forgotten and didn't expect when I revisited them. Yeah. Scott, what works best for you on the record? Well, that's uh, I was going to take that transition, even if you didn't hand it to me, because that's that's actually it. For the most part, it's that there's great hooks, uh, there's catchy songs. And I think for the most part, um, the songs are like really well, well crafted. Again, like you say, um, like I think a lot of skate thrash is, you know, pretty much just like hard and fast for two and a half minutes. And 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 this goes goes beyond that. Um, I've got a few of the things written down here, but the, the one I really wanted to hit on, which you guys kind of touched on is the, um, the lyrical content. Um, you know, I got this when I was 17 or 18 and, and, um, I, I, you know, it clearly is the lyrical content I think is, is aimed at that age and, and probably mostly, you know, mostly males. Um, and I didn't hear myself in the lyrics. I, I still don't really. And, and part of me hears things like, you know, I, how can I laugh tomorrow if I can't smile today? Or what do I have to do to make you comfort me? I mean, part of me hears that and, and rolls my eyes. And definitely at 17 and 18, I did too. But, you know, having matured quite a bit um, and, you know, raised two boys to ages 11 and nine, you know, I, I've, I've gone through a lot of like, well, let's name that emotion, you know, let's talk about that. And I think um, even if sometimes the delivery in a pop song doesn't quite work for me, I think, I think Mike Muir is really on to something with this stuff, you know, like can't stop is just him naming the fact that he can't, like, he's just naming the fact that emotions are just going crazy through him. And uh, like, I, I really think that's uh commendable um even if the even if delivery isn't always like quite right up my alley i think he's probably a couple decades ahead of his time on on this stuff so yeah i agree i don't i I was trying to think of you know artists in this era that are writing you know lyrics especially with that song that are as sort of emotionally vulnerable and i mean you know, Eddie Vedder was doing that, but he was also doing that in a lot of ways in like a third person approach. Whereas I could hear, I mean, that song made me think that like maybe Mike Muir went through some stuff as a teenager or a, or a preteen with, you know, and he was drawing on that um, sort of alienation. Um, you know, they were they were a band that was was alienated from the start in terms of them being just different from all the other bands in that Venice scene and um they got I, I was reading up on their history and there was definitely like you know they got accused of being gang members because of their heritage and their ethnicity and um they got like banned from playing clubs because they, their people assumed that they were going to be bringing gang members to, so certain clubs wouldn't book them. So, I think that's an interesting. You know, it's one thing for like we're in a thrash band or we're in a hardcore band in that era, and we get banned because we're a hardcore band because there's violence at hardcore shows. But to be like specifically targeted because of your ethnicity at that time is like a even is like twice the attack that other bands faced. So. I'm sure he has a well of stuff to draw on for lyrical content. Um, in terms of his vocal, 
I just want to touch on this and maybe get into some stuff that didn't work. I think Can't Stop, the opening track, is the good example. He almost he has like three different voices during that song. Like it starts quiet, he gets into like his mid-range, and then when he like gets loud, and it happens a couple times in the record, when he gets it gets into this area here, like this, like he's it almost sounds like Lemmy. But like yeah. Lemmy lost the bottom end of his vocal. Like it's like <laughs> Lemmy smoked way too much and yeah. it's all just rasp. Um, that was like, the it, only time I thought, uh, he's stretching. Like this isn't working for me. I think he can't, can't reach as high as he wants to go. And so that's, that's what he pulls in. Right. Yeah. Did that bother you at all, Jay? No, I, I, get, I know what you're saying. Uh, I think it's produced so incredibly well that it kind of works for me. Um, I, I did, I did wonder, and now this isn't a knock on the record, but I did wonder as I was listening to it, if these songs maybe don't sound so great live. I, I don't know. I've never heard them. They're great musicians. I just have a hard time imagining how you pull these vocals off live. Um, there's just so much production going in and um, two of them. And there's a lot of doubling that really makes them work. And, he yeah he sings in that kind of either strained range or uh, almost a breathy whisper-ish range that you have to compress a lot. So I started to think about like you know did this not come off great live? But uh, but mostly you know vocally I was okay. I, I think the only thing that didn't work for me which is some of this, like a song, like we call this mother revenge, like that felt what I would have expected. Uh, it's a fairly straightforward, like, you know, big guitars, thrashy burst kind of song that was okay. Um, I'm even a song like, um, I wasn't meant to feel this way. I sleep at the wheel, which is too long. It just goes into such a like trippy, unexpected place that, it's interesting and fun. In fact, that song, like I kept listening to it, trying to figure out who it sounded like. And the closest thing I could come up with was mother love bone, uh, which sounds incredibly bizarre, but um, maybe if you listen to it with that, with that in mind, maybe you can hear what I'm talking about. So, you know, that, there's maybe a little the, mix. I, 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 I. yeah there's that and just like like the the way the guitars are produced and even like the intro it's kind of like that long atmospheric trippy thing with it's you know, a the weird kind of song around it it reminded me of something off of um apple the production is definitely like taking from 1990 1991 1990 there's definitely it's it's time stamps you know you can hear 1992 in this yeah um, but that's about it. I mean, I, it could be trimmed up here or there for me, but there's nothing, um, you know, glaring that I would change or don't like. Anything? Yeah, this um, yeah. I, 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 I'm probably a little harsher on this than than you've been. Um, the the talking parts in the like choices of words um get to me a little bit like it it's just a little bit like they they take me out of the just i'm gonna completely enjoy it and i don't know maybe that's because um 
I don't remember feeling that way when I listened to this as a kid. You know, maybe I'm doing that because maybe that was like the automatically defensive uh, take I had when I was listening to it, thinking about reviewing it publicly. But um, you know, a lot of it is adolescent and, and teenage, and, and mm-hmm. doesn't quite stand the test of time. Um, and um, but the thing I hate the most is the cover art. I think. I think. Um, Anytime somebody uses like the Mona Lisa as a stand-in for the concept of art, just like lazy and stupid, <laughs> and um, and then setting fine art on fire as an act of rebellion, I also find just offensively just stupid. To use to use one of Mike Muir's favorite words and in insults, I will use the word stupid twice yeah, yeah. to describe the cover art. Um, so I, I cannot let that go. Got to kill Captain Stupid. Yeah. He, <laughs> In the liner notes for the Infectious Grooves, the Infectious Grooves has this song, something about, I hate stupid people or something like that. And then he felt the need to, in the liner notes, define what he meant by stupid, which I'm going off of memory is something like somebody who has the capacity to think but doesn't or something like that. So he has a specific thing in mind when he says stupid. He does love to call people stupid in songs. I, I want to follow up what Chip said, which was it felt like a lot of the songs were just a minute or two long. Like Monopoly of Sorrow, I think, is a good example. That's a really interesting song. Like that acoustic guitar stuff reminded me of like Jay Massis. And he's singing in that really interesting range that you don't expect from him. But then at the end, they like double time it for an extra minute. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, why do you need to do that? Like, yeah. just get out of the. Why does it have to be five? minutes and 13 seconds just get out that made me think too that that is a great example of um when you get into that song you're like wow this is a really interesting place for this band to be not what i expected but then when they double it up yeah it hits me that oh this is what the band would have done two years ago like yeah and like something's pushed them to say hey maybe we don't have to play every song that fast (laughs) Like maybe we could, you know, play different tempos and see what that sounds like. And it just revealed to me maybe, you know, some decisions that were made that I ended up liking that maybe I didn't need to know about. Yeah. I I hate you better or I'll hate you better kind of has like the same, like that's got like a groove, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that could be, that could have been a blind melon song in parts of it. I did feel like, the production doesn't do Robert Trujillo any favors. Like the bass is not mixed very loudly. There's a couple times where it pokes <clears throat> out. Yeah. But I was expecting like this performance because I know that he's a great bass player. But other than I think there's one part where he just kind of goes off one of the quieter part songs. Um, it might be asleep the asleep of the wheel section of I wasn't meant to feel this, um, where he does some runs that are pretty tricky. But uh, but did I miss something? Was my was my MP3s at ninety two k? Was I, I just uh, something was right in terms of the mix as far as the bass goes? It does sound uh, bassier when you play it louder. I mean, it's got a good amount of dynamic range here, so that helps a bit. You hear more of the bass, but I would I'm with you in general that my first impressions of the record had nothing to do with bass playing it did not stand out to me yeah like i said i i was 
noticing the drums before I even got to the bass. Obviously, right. it's it's also they're using these huge guitar tones, which you know a lot of metal bands do. But I mean, some of these are a good example is uh, "Which Way to Free" when that that opening riff. Those tones like eat up so much band of the audio spectrum that when you're mixing bass, it's like, where do I put the bass now? Because this guitar tone is like taking up all the room. So some of it's that of just you have to if you're going to commit to big guitars like that, it's tough to get the bass that loud. And and on that song at the beginning, they do feature the bass, and then it's times like that where it feels like it's the the desire to highlight the bass almost is fighting the overall aesthetic they were going for on the album. So in terms of success, this was actually fairly successful for the band. It made to number 52 on the U S billboard 200 album chart. Um, the single, uh, nobody hears was, I think their only one, let me double check this. Yeah, it was uh, uh nobody here is and I'll hit you better were both top 40 hits for this period. Wow. I don't I don't know how long they were, but they yep. were they got pushed on I guess I, I wonder if this was on alternative radio or if there were like hard rock stations that were playing this. Like I don't where was this getting played? I I heard it, so it must have been on the radio. I mean, right. I, yeah, it was familiar enough to the- me that it had to be more than just like MTV Headbangers Ball or something. I mean, this you can I can imagine this fitting in onto a station that had Dirt and from '92 and and Bad Motorfinger, which I think was '91. Like yeah, its rotation it could also fit those songs, especially could fit into that radio station's rotation. And honestly, that I mean, for this band and and this record, that those numbers of album sales and and single charting are probably pretty i mean that's pretty solid for them i'm they wouldn't see those numbers again no no not at all um i i am interested though in why you know you put out this record you get some good um you know some good sales and instead of uh you know following up um they followed up with uh in 93 still psycho after all these years which was just an album of re-recordings of songs which does not seem to be taking advantage of what just happened yeah like you know what i mean like yeah you <laughs> what i don't know what happened there and then um And then Suicidal for Life came out in 94, 94, not to great reception based on the reviews I saw on various places. The the track listing there. (laughs) Track number two is don't give a F. Three is no effing problem. Four is Suicide Mother Effa. Five is (laughs) effed up just right. Six is no BS. I mean, like they are not abbreviating them. Uh, as I just did, so yeah. I mean, I don't know how accurate it is, but uh, Wikipedia reports that 
after this album, the band was, well, probably Mike Muir was unhappy with that level of success because he just didn't enjoy it up there and, you know, took a strong, you know, 90 degree turn, went a different direction, which I mean, it's probably accurate because that definitely matches like my experience. Yeah. It seems like they basically just um, sabotaged themselves so that they wouldn't have to deal with uh, whatever they were dealing with. Yeah. On the art of rebellion in terms of success, which is odd, but okay. Everybody's got to do their own thing. So let's talk about overall ratings for this record. We'll share our poll results from Patreon in just a moment. But Jay, where do you land? Where the album, better EP, decent single? Where the album? Uh, I surprised I like this as much as I, I do. I, I think it's a great example of you know, bands that didn't emerge in the 90s they existed they they you know they were they were working hard in the in the 80s and late 80s and early 90s and then you know took the change in music in a, as an inspiration and pushed themselves uh, that's what it sounds like to me it sounds like a record with a band that's that's pushing themselves and trying new things and uh it pulling it off so it's um you know definitely under appreciated probably even i don't know it sounds like maybe even in their catalog i'm not sure but um certainly not the first band you think of at this point when we you know talk about digging up lost and forgotten 90s bands this is not one that would have you know popped in my mind that we should go back and check out but i think it's just a like I said, another great example of bands we're familiar with that the nineties presented an opportunity for them to, to push things and they took advantage of it and uh, delivered a worthy album to me. I, I'm not sure if I would like the, anything else in their catalog, um, but this is a keeper. I agree with you. I think this is a worthy album and I think this is a great way to kick off 1992 we just did our roundtable of 92 albums, and this uh, is from 92. So this is a, in terms of our kicking off our, our patron suggested albums, um, this slots in really nicely with, I, I, I would have never have discovered this without it being brought to us. And it, it's weird how it fits in so well with like dirt from this year and, and, like you mentioned with like bad motor finger Scott and, and those records, like there's, it, it is not far off from that stuff. So I can see how, you know, maybe some people would have picked this up. Megadeth too. That was a band that, that came up to my mind. Yeah. This era of Megadeth, a song like where's the truth reminded me a bit of this era of Megadeth, but I don't know. I like this a lot more. I, when I hear that layer of Megadeth now, I, I, it, it grates on me. There's something about um, the way that he sings um, when they're in more of a bigger pop metal mode, um, Countdown to Extinction era. Yep. So <clears throat> this felt like, oh, this sounds like a a cooler Megadeth song from that era. So it's definitely 1992 metal. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that comparison, but I was into, I think Countdown to Extinction was where I lost the friend of Megadeth too. 
Um, yeah, that's a worthy album for me. Um, interestingly, I think I'm in, enjoyed it less than both of you um, on on revisit. Um, I would cut um, very little. I would cut "Gotta Go, Captain Stupid" probably, and I would at least cut down. I wasn't meant to feel this asleep at the wheel. I think that's, that's yeah. Too long. And then I, you know I could shave a minute or two off different songs here or there, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, for the most part, I I think this holds up really well. Um, I used to, so the, again, the four ST albums I know are the four that lead up to the, the with this being the fourth, you know, chronologically before this. And I think you'll, you know, you said, um, doing brand new things on this and there, there's definitely a progression, but I think the one before this lights camera revolution. So, so this used to be the album that I thought was their best of those four. And I've gone back and listened to the other three in, in preparation. And I think, um, lights camera revolution and, um, I laugh tomorrow are at least as good as this, if not a little bit better. I would throw away controlled by uh, hatred, deja vu. Um, but um, but yeah, so so for for people who like discovered them on this or whatever, like I would I would my suggestion is try Let's Camera Revolution, try How Will I Laugh Tomorrow, um, and I think you'll hear a lot of what you liked on this most albums as well. Excellent. Well, we can we can add this now to your portfolio of uh, completely non-connected albums, no theme, uh, just uh, just interesting picks that sometimes we get and sometimes we don't. But that's okay because we are not the final word on these. Uh, our patrons are, and our patrons said eighty-nine percent worthy album. 11% decent single. So somebody like nobody hears and that's it. <laughs> that would be a one. That is clearly the standout. Yeah, I love that. I love that song. Uh, so if you at home would like to uh, vote in the polls like this one or, or in our monthly polls, Jay, uh, we got a monthly poll going up soon, I assume, I uh, for January. Uh, people can hop this, in uh, Patreon. This weekend. This weekend or last weekend when this episode posts. Uh. Just, it's up now it's up now join us <laughs> vote nine albums every month to vote on suggested by you over at our website digmeoutpodcast.com and uh you also can join us to uh, maybe pick a record like scott did and other things that are available at the website uh, your access to discord where all the chatter happens and also access to the newsletter the box which comes out every week you can read it at Patreon, as well as if you subscribe to it uh, at digmeoutpodcast.com. It comes out every weekend. Two new reviews of new albums, uh, movies, or books related to 80s and 90s music that we cover. And finally, if you like the show and you want to leave us some feedback, preferably positive feedback, uh, that would be Apple Podcasts is the place to do that. Scott, thank you for once again adjusting your schedule to uh to meet our schedule changes and um we always love having you back and so uh don't be a stranger and uh are you are you uh are you trolling me with that clutch uh chair that you're sitting in is that supposed to be some sort of <laughs> some, some sort of gentle trolling <laughs> do you wish you had a better chair no or, or you think it's a reference to the band or yes. no, I, I famously no, do not, not like the band uh because of the because of the vocals the uh, yo ho ho and a bottle of rum vocals 
Did you have you have you done clutch? I can't remember. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. on another. I always start off the year. Congratulations on another year. Have you? Thank done you. Clutch? Thank you. We did. Yeah. Tim, yes. pan, Tim panned it pretty hard. I I did not care for Neil Fallon's uh style of uh of barking and well, uh go back and check. we we have this pattern where we tend to like be harshest on bands that have the most passionate hardcore <laughs> fan bases. You know this band Slint. Yeah, eh, they're kind of garbage. Uh, I don't know if that's just our passive aggressive nature or what. But. <laughs> if, and you and you, that was a bold choice not to reword the Tori Amos tweet. Thank you. I just kept <laughs> retweeting everybody. It was beautiful. Uh, you know, instead of listening to Slint, you guys need to check out Suicidal Tendencies. I think you like them much better. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. So yeah, congratulations on another year. Um, 11. No, I'm not trolling you. And everybody, um, if you're still listening and haven't fast forwarded to the end, you should definitely uh, join Patreon. The community is the best part, uh, believe it or not. So come join us. It Thank is. You. All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.